take what's yours, the Bible says today, the mind of Christ. Because ironically, when we want what's ours, the mind of Christ, it causes us to uh, think on and dwell upon the humility of Jesus Christ that makes us become less and him become more. So that's mine. What you're really asking for, though, is that which causes you to become less. And that which causes Jesus Christ to be glorified through your life. Have this mind. Hi, friends, and welcome back to our little program, Live in the Light. Hey, Live in the Light is a radio ministry that seeks to transform lives through the unapologetic preaching of God's Word. Our teacher for this program is Robbie Simons, who's a pastor up here in Ontario, Canada, and a big fan of Christmas. So you get to hear his voice, and you also get to hear my voice. I'm the host of this program, Craig Turnbull. But there's a lot of voices that you won't hear that do a ton of work here on Live in the Light. And we all wanted to just take a moment from all of us here at this program to wish you a very wonderful and Merry Christmas. May the Lord bless you with joy and peace and hope this Christmas with these wonderful truths of the incarnation of the Son of God who came for us. All right, today's teaching takes us to Philippians chapter 2 with a message entitled, Incomprehensible Humility. Let's turn things over to our teacher, Pastor Robbie Simons, now as we dig into the powerful truths of God's Word. Take the time to say thank you. You know, within the Christmas story, Simeon, but then right after Simeon, there's Anna. And Anna was told, went to the temple day and night through fasting and prayer and worship. Since she was very old, some scholars estimate she was over 100 years old. And there she was, you know what she was doing? And it was just after Jesus came to the temple, Simeon's there, Simeon says, now I can die, I've seen the Lord. And then it talks about Anna. And Anna, she says she was giving thanks and telling all the people she could see. You can look at it in Luke 2, telling all the people about the redemption that was coming to Israel through Jesus Christ. Awesome. I think we need a little more Anna in us, don't you? A little more Anna at the temple day and night, worshiping, fasting, and praying, and giving thanks, and giving thanks. Giving thanks to the one. Philippians 2 verse 5 says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You know, it's so interesting. Have this mind among yourselves. So in this sense, we want this. In this sense, loved ones, front of the line. Front of the line for the mind of Christ. Uh, That's mine. What is? The mind of Christ. Um, I want that because that's mine. That belongs to me and every other person who is alive in Jesus Christ. Um, That's mine. Um, I want what? what? I want the mind of Christ. Take what's yours, the Bible says today, the mind of Christ, because ironically, when we want what's ours, the mind of Christ, it causes us to uh, think on and dwell upon the humility of Jesus Christ that makes us become less and him become more. So that's mine. What you're really asking for, though, is that which causes you to become less and that which causes Jesus Christ to be glorified through your life. Have this mind. Have this mind among yourselves, church. Harvest Oakville. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in in Christ Jesus. But look at verse seven now. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now notice the first phrase there, emptied 
himself. That phrase alone has sparked tremendous debate over centuries as to what this really means. And the question that naturally arises from this translation, and there are many different translations kind of saying the same thing, but the question that arises when you see emptied himself is, what did Jesus empty himself of? The Greek word for empty is kenosis. And this has led to what is called the kenosis theory. Now, the kenosis theory, which, by the way, is false, a false theory and a false teaching, it does teach this, though. When Jesus came to earth, he emptied himself of certain divine attributes. So the kenosis theory would teach that Jesus on earth gave up things like his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence. They would argue that as he became man, he not only relinquished a position, but he relinquished some of the attributes of the person of the Godhead. What we must understand though, and hold to at all costs by truth is there's no, it's impossible for Jesus ever to become less God. He's fully God. You can't become less than fully God. If you're God, you're God. Jesus was God. So through the incarnation then, the deity of Christ was not subtracted. Listen carefully. Rather, the humanity of Christ was added. I'll say that again. Through the incarnation, the deity of Christ was not subtracted in one percentage point. But the humanity of Christ was what was added to him. So just think of this illustration. Think of a king. A king who is reigning on his throne, holds all the authority, all the power. He steps down from his throne. He puts, takes off his, his, his kingly robes. He puts on robes of a peasant and he goes and walks within the other people, seemingly like all the rest of them. His, his appearance looks like it has changed, but it, all the authority is still his. He's still king. All the control is still his. All the power is still, he's still the king. Just because he changed his clothes and took on a different kind of appearance does not change his authority, does not change his person. This is what Christ did. The king came down from his throne. I remember the part of that song, it says, what kind of king leaves his throne? What kind of king leaves his, leaves his glory? I just love that phrase. What kind of king leaves his glory to die? What other religion teaches such a thing? What other faith-based anything has a God who is willing to step down from his throne and glory, not only to live among those whom he created, but to die by the hands of those he has created? Amen to the question. What kind of king leaves his throne? An awesome king, a loving king, a gracious king, a merciful king, a generous king, an unfathomable king filled with incomprehensible humility. That's the kind of king that leaves his throne in glory to die for those whom he has created. No deity is subtracted, just humanity that was added. the incomprehensible humility in the incarnation and the Christmas story. Here's my um, Christmas hymn words. I wonder if you can tell which Christmas hymn this is from. This will be a tricky one for many of you. It's one that we may not sing so much. 
Anyone, anyone know what it is yet? It's from uh, Once in Royal David City. So, um, he came down to earth from heaven. You know, I sing this a lot as a kid. But notice, okay, he came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all. And his shelter was a stable, and his cradle was a stall. This is, this is the humility, possibly me half singing it's taking away from the power. So maybe I should stop doing that, okay? So, who is God and Lord of all, and his shelter was a stable, and his cradle was a stall. Like, really? Really? Uh, with the poor and meek and lowly, lived on earth, our Savior holy, emptied himself in the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus, thank you. Maybe on behalf of the, just even the church right now, Jesus, we love you so much. You are so beautiful and so awesome. You are so good. You are so kind to us. We deserve death and hell and punishment. We are such wretched sinners, so wicked in all our hearts every day, and yet you love us so. And you came to earth to live and die and be raised from the dead that we might live. Thank, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. On behalf of, again, this, this, this body which you have redeemed and you have sealed and you have gathered as your own that we one day will see you face to face. I just, I pray, Jesus, that you would help us more than ever to live with a reverence and an awe and a worship that is worthy your name and do, and do your glory. Amazing, amazing. And on that note of what the incarnation should lead to, Jared Wilson, he said this, and I saw this quote this week. I wanted you to see it again. It's a little bit of terms in here and it can be a little hard to follow, but let's try together, okay? When he says this, when we put our minds long to the idea of Jesus being 100% God and simultaneously 100% man, they naturally feel overwhelmed, okay? So we're feeling a little bit better about that, okay? The orthodox doctrine of the incarnation is compelling, beautiful, biblically sensible, and salvifically necessary, but it is nevertheless utterly inscrutable. You can't fully solve it in your head. I love this, and that's okay. Because in the end, the incarnation is not for analysis ultimately, but for worship. Amen. We clap for that. We clap for that. Amen. Thank you for clapping for some of the best parts of the message. I really appreciate it because it's true. I mean, that if you get that, you get it all. You get it all. You, you wake up each day this week and you're not necessarily worried about the shopping malls. You're just like, where's my savior? I can just tell him how awesome he is again. And you're taking the opportunity of the season and you're leading your family and you're telling your friends and your burden for the lost. God help us. God help us. Look at verse seven again. By taking the form of a servant, Taking the form of a servant. This, this is the mind-boggling humility continuing. One of the ways that this phrase, taking the form of a servant, like almost every commentary I read this week kind of apply this example right away. One of the ways this is so beautifully summarized and exemplified is John 13. When Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and the text says in John 13, and notice the parallels from Philippians 2. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he began to wash his disciples' feet. 
I mean, the beauty and the astounding humility of this moment in the light of the incarnation is incomprehensible to me. The towel was reserved for the slave. Like the lowest of the low. The the bottom of the totem pole. The disciples would never dream of taking up the towel and washing each other's feet. They They wouldn't even think about doing that. They're too proud. That's for the slave. But then the the son of God, the Lord of glory, rises up from the table, lays aside his garments and takes up a towel and begins to wash the feet of his disciples. The very son of God. You know, the disciples would not fully understand what was taking place. But listen, at some point they would was it after Jesus died and, and ascended to heaven after raising? I don't know, but at some point, you got to imagine Peter, James, and John, and the other guys, that, that they're lying in bed one night and they're just thinking all of a sudden the, the thought connects, the truth connects of what took place in the upper room that night. And maybe they, 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 they shoot out of bed, they, they sit right up and they're just eyes wide and, and their mouth declares openly. They're like, God washed my feet. And in wonder and awe, could it be that the Lord of the universe stooped down to wash my feet? It had to hit them at some point. But even greater than that is this. The Son of God died for my sins. Which every one of us here right now, as children of God, can state with the same unfathomable expression of gratitude and love and adoration to him. The mind-blowing humility of the Son of God, incomprehensible. And then notice verse 7, it says that he was born in the likeness of men. Alistair Begg, he, he says this, he says, rather than asking the question, um, this question, rather than asking this question, of what did Jesus empty himself of? The better biblical question, he says, is asking this question. What did he empty himself into? So rather than saying of what did Jesus empty himself of, rather what did Jesus empty himself into? And he emptied himself into the flesh of men, being born in the likeness of men. Again, Alistair Begg, he continued, he said, Jesus did not approach the incarnation asking what's in it for me and what do I get out of it? In coming to earth, he said, Jesus said, I don't matter. But Jesus, you're going to be laid in a manger. It doesn't matter, Jesus said. Jesus, you will have nowhere to lay your head. It doesn't matter. Jesus, you will be an outcast and a stranger. It doesn't matter. Jesus, they will nail you to a cross and your followers will all desert you. And Jesus says, That's okay. This is what it means that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Verse five, our hinge verse, points us forward to the incomprehensible humility and the mind-boggling reality of what Jesus Christ did and gave for us. 
But what we do with verse five now as our hinge, as we saw the door of life, Jesus Christ, now we go to how it relates to us in verses two, three, and four. And this takes us to point number two then, the incarnation, a mind-renewing example. A mind-renewing example. There's so much here. There's so much here. You know, this week and obviously in many ways right now, literally overwhelmed by all this truth. I was just overwhelmed by God's word, overwhelmed by Jesus and his beauty, overwhelmed by how much you're kind of seeing in this text and you, you know, so much. You know what happens to me, loved ones? Like you're in study and you're there and you're praying and you're going through God's word. I just, Lord, like sometimes I think I'm in these moments and God, I just, I feel so blessed and so satisfied to spend this time with you and to feel so close to you. But I'm just like, beg God that you would be able to share the same. I can't do that though. I can't transfer what I'm seeing or I can't make it happen. But God's Holy Spirit can. And I just want you to know how much I long for you to see the things that I and others see. And just because it just, it's, it's the beauty and the profundity is, it's literally overwhelming. So verse five points us forward, but now it points us backwards. Why? That, we might know how to think and live as true Christ followers. Here's what I, I want you to see. Something I saw this week, I was really excited about. Look at this little chart here. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So here it points forward to Jesus. So this is the mind of Jesus Christ, a mind of selflessness we saw in verse six, a mind of submission, a mind of servanthood, taking the form of a servant. But, but notice this was our hinge verse in, in verse five. Now we're gonna see here selflessness, but verse three says to us as the church, do nothing from selfless ambition or vain conceit. Notice the connection, a form of submission or significance with others. Count others more significant than yourselves. A mind of servanthood. Uh, verse four says, uh, look also not only to your ears, but also to the interests of others. So all of this surrounding here, have this mind among yourselves. So have this mind of you becoming less serving others because the ultimate example is Jesus Christ. But the example of Jesus Christ spurs us on to see this reality within our lives as well. And here's where the incarnation gets so practical and so beautifully practical, yet so transformational. You know, as we go into verses two to four, I wonder how many here right now are longing for joy and and relational blessing this Christmas. So probably every single one of us in some way, we're just, we're longing for that. I wonder for how many of us on the other hand may be dreading Christmas or walking in with some form of apprehension. You know, regardless if you're looking forward to Christmas and longing for the joy or dreading Christmas and you're fearing what may be, here's what all of us need to see. Here's how all of us need to think. If you want a guaranteed blessed Christmas, no matter where you are, who you're with, then we are called to take on the mind of Christ. How do we take on the mind of Christ? Well, First of all, we take on a mind of, of selflessness. Look at verse three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So this is, this is the week of Christmas right now. It's, a, it's an important time in many different ways, specifically relationships and all the things that are going on. Loved ones, what we're learning right here is we have the mind of Christ. We have a mind of selflessness. When we have a mind of selflessness, listen, we win. It feels like we lose, but we actually win. The more we decrease, the more we experience the power and the love and the joy of Jesus Christ within our lives. Again, it feels like we lose, but we win. I implore you as I'm trying to exhort my own heart and mind and life this week, walk into Christmas determined to be selfless. Spouses, 
Be selfless with one another. You won't lose. You're like, oh no, man, my wife, she'll take advantage of me. Trust the Lord with that. Trust the Lord with that. You don't know my husband. He's such a jerk sometimes. You trust the Lord with that. You, you, you do what Christ says and you win. It doesn't mean it's easy, but you win. It's called the will of God. Kids, be determined for selflessness. Friends, be determined for selflessness because with selflessness, we win. You know, one of the great ways that you know that you're selfless and growing in humility, one of the single greatest fruits that you know this is happening in your life is gratitude. Because the grateful person understands how much they've been given and granted by Christ and therefore they don't need other things. They're not looking for what's in it for them because they already know how good they have it. Gratitude is so powerful. Let me ask you, when you open a gift in the next couple of days, Lord willing, you're getting some kind of, I mean, it's amazing to see you open a gift and in, inside your mind, you're like, is that it? And on the outside, you're like, thanks. But in your mind, you're like, oh, I wanted something. I mean, that just, just like, give yourself a smack on your face. All right? That's ingratitude. Look at the manger. Uh, look, at, look at your savior. Look at his face and say, is that it? It won't happen if you see him clearly. It's impossible. You look at him and you'll fall on your knees. Seeing the night divine, take a mind of selflessness. Remember, remember Paul Tripp says, the DNA of sin is selfishness. Like the very DNA of our sin is selfishness. And so the DNA of Christ in our minds and our lives is selflessness. Secondly, do this, take on a mind of submission. Take on a mind of submission. Look at verse three again. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That's very, very interesting and beautiful, isn't it? When we believe in submission, essentially we believe in the significance of others around us. Oh, that this time, this season, we will be able to count others more significant than ourselves and believing that Christ will bring us joy in the process. Think of how a world just doesn't do this like hardly ever to count others more significant than ourselves. A few things you can do this week. You can talk less, listen more to count others more significant than yourself. You can expect less and love more to count others more significant than yourself. You can judge less and pray more. As a way of counting others more significant, we go on and on and on and on. But this is the mind of Christ in us. It's a mind of submission. It's a mind of loving others because we believe they are more significant than us. And then thirdly, the application here is take on a mind of servanthood. So selflessness, submission, and servanthood. Look at verse four. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
You know what's so powerful and sometimes strangely fun is to walk into a situation and say to yourself, as I walk into this situation, I'm going to be a servomaniac. Like you just decide, like you have a resolve. How many of you are walking to family gatherings this week, walking into work settings, walking into friends, whatever it might be, walking into situations, like to walk into a situation, walking into church and saying today, I'm gonna be a servomaniac. Can you imagine the heads that you might turn, especially for some of us who have that DNA of sin, like fully functioning? And family members would be like, what in the world is with Joe? Look at him, he's like emptying the dishwasher, he's cleaning dishes, he's changing diapers. Never seen him do that ever before. Wouldn't that be awesome? And you're doing it not so people say, man, look at you, you're great. No, 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 you're doing it because it's a way to love people because you have the mind of Christ. And because you believe in the end, it's better off that way of you becoming less than if you had everyone serving you. Resolve to be a servant maniac this week and see how the Lord uses that in your life and see the impression that makes upon other people. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind. Can you imagine if our church had this mind? Like I'm praying we do increasingly, but can you imagine each one of us took up this mind of Christ? The incarnation, a mind-boggling humility, a mind-renewing example. It renews our minds. This is why then, loved ones, all of this is found at the root of the incarnation. This is why every person truly touched by Christmas will never be the same again. Have you truly been touched by Christmas? Have you truly seen the child in the manger who's the son of God to die for your sins? If you truly have seen the Christ child and you know who he is, that he offers you eternal life, he offers you to take away your sin and you get his right. If you've truly seen him, you cannot stay the same. Truly seen him. But you have to see more than a child. You must see the son of God. Let me end this message with this here. Malachi 4 verse 2. This has been a verse that has meant a lot to me over the past couple of weeks. In some ways, this is a Christmas verse you may not be aware of. Malachi 4.2 says, but for you who fear my name, notice, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. This is Christmas. You say, where is Christmas in this? The son of righteousness is Jesus Christ. The son of righteousness is the one who is sent to earth. And then for the first time, the light is truly shining in the dark. I saw a beautiful sunrise. I saw a beautiful sunrise this week. Actually was in Louisville for a couple of days this week. And I was out walking in this kind of rural part of that city. And it was cold and dark. But then you saw the sun come. And I thought of this right away. As the sun comes up, the hope that is there, the sun of righteousness, notice the healing that it brings because when Jesus Christ comes, he comes to break people free from sin and death and Satan and slavery. He heals us from our greatest fears and our greatest problem, our sin. And no wonder then you show out leaping like calves from the stall. Think of a calf tied in a stall unable to get free, but then the gate is open and the exuberance and the youthful glee of a calf dancing and jumping and leaping with joy. That's the impact of the incarnation. Why? Because light over darkness, healing over death and joy over despair only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why then Christmas is so awesome 
Because Christmas is when the sun begins to shine and the hope is felt for the first time and the rays of his warmth come on our face. And then we begin to see again, this is why I live and this is why I'm here. Light, the hope, the joy. I love it. The healing that is found in the wings of the Savior of the world. Maybe you're here today and the Lord wants to heal you once and for all. Maybe you're here today and today is your day to put your faith and trust and life in the Lord Jesus Christ that you may be healed from your sin, healed from your misery, healed from your pain, and healed from your hurt. Oh, may it be so. All these answers are found in Jesus. No one else. No one else. Only by him. That's why he came. That's why he lived. That's why he died. That's why he rose from the dead. If you'd like to hear this message again or the rest of the messages from this series, you can find these free resources and more on our website at liveinthelight.ca. That's liveinthelight.ca. If you'd like to get a copy of the entire series, make sure you phone us at 1-844-22-LIGHT. That's 1-844-225-4448. I'm Craig Turnbull, and on behalf of Robbie Simons, we invite you to join us again next time on Live in the Light.